0: If not, I invite you to turn with me to the 14th chapter of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 14. I had mentioned earlier about Paul's instruction to the Corinthians concerning the Lord's Supper you know, that we read there in, in the 11th chapter of First Corinthians, and as I've studied and looked at that a little bit, there was one aspect of it that had me kind of pause in a way that I hadn't paused on before, where Paul is telling the church at Corinth that when they come together for the Lord's Supper, that there is to tarry one for another. And it's an expression that me and my friends have used with one another before and we're being silly about things and you know, waiting on each other. But as it struck me this week, as I looked at those things concerning the Lord's Supper, that God's desire for His people is to wait on one another. To be patient for each other. To tarry one for another. What I began to think about is I began to think about my children. They've inherited the patience of their father which is to say they're not very patient. But, you know, I never had to teach my children to put themselves first. Instead, I've had to teach them to wait their turn. It is the nature of a child to want to do something for themselves as soon as possible, no matter what that means concerning anybody else. If there is a line to go up and go down a slide, a little child says, well, I should go first. They'll go down the slide and by the time they can make it up, they'll go in front of the person that's been waiting even longer than when they went down the first time. We have a tendency by our nature in the flesh to seek our own desires above anybody else's. We want to go first. We want to have things done according to how we would like them. We have a tendency to look upon ourselves above others. I guess what I'm saying is that we have a tendency towards selfishness. That's why we spend so much time teaching our children to wait your turn, to share, to be nice, and to be kind to one another. That's why we have those teachings to these young kiddos that are around us. Paul told the Corinthian church to wait for one another. (laughs) I guess they had the same tendency, didn't they? (laughs) They would gather to meet for the Lord's Supper, and one would start eating before the other. They would get out of this thing all a mess. They viewed it for the wrong purposes. They turned it into just a a love feast and and all these sorts of things. You go study for yourself. But he told them, when you come together, it is not to eat as you would eat at home. Wait on each other. Tarry one for another. I'll begin to dive into this a little bit. What we're going to read here in the 14th chapter of the book of Luke is Jesus as he was observing some things that were going on when he was invited into a home of one of the chief Pharisees. He was invited in on a Sabbath day to have a, a meal, to, to have dinner here with the chief Pharisee of the day. And He comes in, and as He's coming into the house, there's one there that has dropsy, and we see how He heals the one that has dropsy. And as He had done before, it kind of causes a bit of a stir, because He has healed on a Sabbath day. But that stir kind of calmed down, and Jesus, I can just about see Him there as He's in this house, and this meal's been prepared, and there's the table. And he's sitting there and he's observing as all these guests that have been invited to come into the house to have this meal with his chief Pharisee, this, this man of renown for the time. All these guests are invited in and he's watching them. And Jesus is watching what they're doing and how they're behaving and where they're choosing to sit. Read the account with me here in Luke chapter 14 beginning at verse 7. It says and he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked, when he observed, or watched how it was that they chose out the chief rooms, the best places to sit. And he said unto them, He said, When you are bidden or invited of any man to a wedding or to a wedding feast, says, sit not down in the highest room. It says, don't sit down in the best place. He says, lest a more honorable man than I'll be bidden of him. He said, when you come into a wedding feast, don't sit down at the head of the table, thinking that you must be the most important there. He said, lest there be somebody else invited who is more honorable than you, more important than you. And he keeps going. He says, and he that invited thee and him, he that invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man place and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. Because when you come into a wedding feast, don't take the place of the most honor. Else, if there was somebody else who was invited who was of greater honor than you, that person that invited both of you will be made to come to you and say, you need to get up and give this person your seat, his seat instead, and you move on to the place of lower honor. He says instead in verse 10, he says, But when thou art invited, go and sit down in the lowest room, the lowest place, in the, the, the least desirable seat, so that when he that invited you cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. He says instead, when you come into this wedding feast, take the less desirable place. Sit in the lower room. Take that which no one would desire, that instead of having shame when you're made to get up because there is one who is more honorable, instead the person that invited you would come to you and say, friend, go up higher. Take the more honorable seat. And when you have that, you will have more esteem of those other invited guests because they will see how it is that you go and sit at meat with the person who invited you. And then he says this in verse 11. It says, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be Exalted. Jesus emphasizes the teaching here in one sentence. He says, He that exalts himself will be abased, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And he keeps going. And now Jesus turns her, his attention towards the one who invited him. So then he also said to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, don't call thy friends or your brethren or your kinsmen, your family or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite thee again and a recompense be made to thee. He said, but when thou makest a feast, call the poor and the maimed, the, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. They, they, they can't repay you, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So the second teaching here, the second teaching that's made by Jesus. Now he turns his attention to the one who invited him. And he said, when you have a feast, when you have a big meal, you have this supper where you're inviting these guests, don't invite those who are, are of great esteem that they might repay you, that they can return to you the favor of of inviting you back. He said, instead, invite those that are least among you. Invite the crippled. Invite the maimed. Invite the lame. Invite the poor. Invite the blind. And you'll be blessed. Why? Because you are inviting them knowing that they cannot invite you back. He said, don't do things to that you might have that blessing returned to you, do those things that you might bless others, and in blessing others, you will receive that great blessing. You will be exalted at the resurrection of the just. This is a powerful teaching that Jesus is making based on His observation of the nature of humans who have gathered at this meal on a Sunday in the house of this chief Pharisee. Can't you just picture that environment as Jesus is sitting there and He's watching what's taking place. You know I like to do this. I want you to put yourself there after having taken that best seat. What must have been on minds of those who had already sat down when Jesus began to teach this parable. I'd have been quick to get up. I don't know about you. I'd have been like, well, I'll just just—I'll be right back. I'll I'll come back and I'll be the last one to sit down and we'll figure it all out then, right? Because Jesus is teaching about the tendency of the human condition. A tendency about the human heart to want to esteem ourselves more highly than we ought to think. That's what Paul told the Romans. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. But instead, to have a lowliness about you, a lowliness of your mind that we might be able to be used of God. That we have a humbleness about us. And Jesus makes the point very clear in verse 11 when He says, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. But whosoever shall humble himself shall be exalted. He said, Those that desire notoriety, there is coming for them a great fall where they will be abased. He said, But instead, those that are humbled, they will receive the exaltation. I read an account one time about this great journalist. And this great journalist, he he had just uh, things that were noted about him that were so great and he could have gotten published just about anywhere but the way he would work is he would be writing some article or something he would send it off for some newspaper to consider and he would always send with it a return envelope in case they didn't like it could have got printed anywhere but saw himself of no reputation read another place about a man who was a great educator All of his students loved him. All the other teachers loved him. He was just a person of this great esteem. But he was so humble in his teaching one day. They were having some award situation or ceremony or something. He was supposed to be speaking at. And he would begin to climb the stairs. And he heard all the audience applauding. And as he heard all the audience applauding, he got very confused about it. And he turned to the person that was supposed to follow him up on stage and said, you go first. The man came out to applause when in reality they were applauding the person behind him who had no clue about the favor that he had carried because his humility didn't recognize himself as anything to be esteemed. Those who are humbled will be exalted, but those who exalt themselves shall be abased. Now you've probably heard any number of sermons concerning Humility. We see teaching throughout scriptures about our need to be humble. We see the book of Philippians. We see right before, I've quoted from this here a lot lately, right before we hear about Jesus and how Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God but instead made of himself of no reputation, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and how Paul goes on and says, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. Right before that teaching, we read this in the book of Philippians. It says, dude, nothing from selfishness from vainglory or empty conceits but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves do not merely look out for your own personal interest but also for the interest of others the rightful place for the Christian to view themselves is less as as less important than those that are around them you see that the Christian view of themselves is to view themselves as less less important than anyone around them. And there is a power in that teaching. We're going to see it in a second. So when we think about this teaching that that we see of Christ as He sat there in this room, and I want you to just think about yourself in these situations. No one desires to take upon themselves the, the place of least favor, Do they? No one desires to, to go and take the, the place that, that's least preferred. If you're like me, there's a place you, you almost desire to not have the, the, the bad place more than you desire to have the good place. Anybody else like me in that? You're like, listen, I'll take average. Just don't give me the worst. <laughs> right? We have this tendency about us to, to, to just have this, this scorn and this disdain for those things that might make us of some lower reputation. We want to avoid those things that might be unpleasant for us for a season. We'd rather somebody else endure them. We have a disdain for those that might cause us embarrassment or cause others to think something about us that would make them have a lower thought or, or, in our opinion, a lower idea of us, esteem us more lowly. And so we have this tendency to say, I want to put somebody else in that place. We have this nature to think more highly of ourselves than we ought rather than what Paul said, that we would esteem and regard one another as more important than ourselves. So what then? What's the importance in Jesus teaching about humility? Jesus has taught about humility in other places. We certainly know how Jesus Christ himself was, was humbled. But why does, why does God desire humility? We see in in different places of Scripture how God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We we know that He has this this, this desire towards them that are humble. We know that if we're going to come to the Lord, we must humble ourselves as a little child as Christ teaches, that, that there's this nature about us that must be humble. But why does God desire that? How do we learn to be humble? you ever thought about that? We can learn humility. Humility is not an, is not a character trait that is just natural to us. So it's learned. How do we learn humility? And what is all this business about those, uh, those that are humbled or humbling yourself and being exalted? Why does God desire humility? God has reserved glory for Himself. God has reserved glory for Himself. He alone is deserving of glory. He alone is deserving of honor. He alone is deserving of worship. So anyone who would seek their own glory, anyone who thinks of themselves as deserving of some honor, anyone who thinks of himself as deserving some praise is seeking after glory and honor and praise that is not theirs to seek. God has reserved praise for Himself. You say, well, well, Derek, why, why would God do such a thing? He created everything. Why wouldn't He? The stars sing praises to the Lord. When Jesus rode in on the back of a a donkey into Jerusalem, and those that were there were singing Hosannas and praising Him, and the people in the city were saying, make your followers, make these people be quiet. What did Jesus say? He said, if these held their peace, do you not know that the very rocks would cry out? All of creation points to the glory and honor of God. He is the Creator. He is the Artist. The Artist is always greater than the art. And the Creator is greater than the creation. And the Potter is greater than the pot. The glory is His. We've been made in His likeness. He made us. He receives the honor and the glory. And so when we desire instead of our own selves to to, to boast of ourselves or to lift ourselves up, we are robbing from God what is rightly His. Be careful concerning the things that are the Lord's. Don't rob Him. This should apply to your finances. This should apply to your time. This should apply to your attitude concerning the Lord. This should apply, as we see here, concerning your humility and not seeking your own praise. Don't rob from God. Don't take from God what are rightly His. He has reserved them for Himself. Let me say this too. You know what else God has reserved for Himself? vengeance. He said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Something is done to you that dishonors you. What did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. Somebody smites you on one side, let them smite the other two. Be a peace lover. Seek the things that God loves, not the things that God hates. But the What else we see in humility and God's love for humility is we see it in Christ. How that Christ made of Himself no reputation. Jesus sought not that He would have something that would be of great renown about Him. He came on behalf of the Father. He came to do the Father's business. And He sought not His own glory, but the glory of His Father. He sought not his own benefit. He sought to serve others for the glory of God. He took upon himself no reputation. He condescended to men of low estate. He saw fit that there would be nothing that should be of reverence about him, that he would sit in high places or or have great worldly riches. He instead found it that he would rather be counted amongst the poor, that he could serve others, and that God would receive the glory. Jesus was with God in the creation of the universe. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He owns the hills also. Yet Jesus had no place to lay His head He did not see uh, things of the world that we would count as being worthy of honor as something for Him to grab a hold of. Much different. He desired merely that there would be those that would look at Him and see one who merely came to serve. Jesus said that, didn't He? He said He came to serve. So we desire humility. God desires humility. Because it is the humble heart that can be used of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. If you esteem yourself more highly than those that are around you, how would you ever serve anyone else? If you think you are more important than anybody, then you're not going to serve somebody that's less important than you. You would expect that person instead to serve you. Wouldn't you? That's the nature of what we would expect. God loves the humble heart Because He he can use that person in His service. You want to be used of the Lord, you ask God to help humble you that you can be used. Now let me say something about this. In my life when I have struggled with pride, I have gone to God in prayer and asked Him to humiliate me. That's a dangerous prayer. Because He just might. Jesus was humiliated. I don't think He was embarrassed. But I think He was humiliated. When there on the cross, He died the death of a criminal even though He was completely righteous. And in His humiliation, I find my hope Yes, you might find yourself to be made of no reputation and take on the least roles in society. That it, people might look at you and say, Well, there must be nothing about that person that's any worth. They thought the same things of Jesus. Why would you expect anyone to think more highly of you than him? There's a guy that I work with and I just respect so much. The reason why I respect him so much, he said to me one time several years ago, he said, Derek, you know, if all I could do was sweep the floor and it would help this company, I would do it. He did not see his role or his title as anything that would receive any admonition. All he wants to do is serve where he is. That's in a business sense. How much more should that be our heart's desire in the sense of the work of the Lord? I don't... Desire accolade. I merely desire to serve and that God will be pleased with my service. That should be the heart and the attitude of the Christian. God loves a humble heart because the humble heart loves and serves others. God desires us to be humble. So, how do we learn? How can we learn humility? The short answer, of course, is through Jesus. We learn humility at the feet of Christ. Now let me say something about this real quick. If you ever meet someone that talks about how humble they are, you're talking to a liar. The person who has true humility will not boast of their humility. I've never sold that to make sense. I've met a lot of people who will just be, you know, I'm just so humble and I'm just so unworthy and all these things. I'm like, you're boasting of that. <laughs> your words betray you. That might be your attitude, but your words are saying something completely different. The person who is humble desires not to be recognized for their humility. They merely desire to serve and their heart and their mind and their eyes are on Jesus. And their only concern is how they can be used for His glory and how they can be used for His service. <laughs> Let me tell myself for a minute. A friend of mine's dad used to say I was cocky. I never understood. that. I didn't ever think of myself as cocky. But I'm not cocky. What do you mean? I found out later what there was to to learn about myself is that I have a tendency to think, well, I can probably do just about anything. I can figure it out. And he had saw enough of me that I had that attitude. He said, well, you're awfully cocky. And it taught me a lesson about how I presented myself because I didn't want anyone to think of me as cocky or of arrogant or of thinking of myself more highly than I ought my heart was probably in a good place when I said I wanted to try to do something and, and if I could learn something along the way that would be good but I did it from the youthful heart I said yeah I can do it even when I had no clue what I was doing that's the tendency of a young man To say I can do it, even when you have no clue, that might just be the tendency of man. I don't know, but it put me in my place, and I've not forgotten it. Be careful. You might have a heart to serve, but if you lift up your own heart, that others might recognize your service suddenly you are obscuring or or, or making it so that people don't see your actual service as something that, that is done from a humble heart. They see you serving only that you might be recognized in that service. You see that? Serve for the glory of the Lord. Not that anybody will ever see you in your service. That was what Jesus did. You know, probably the greatest thing I struggle with when I study the life of Christ is how often He would do something and say, don't tell anybody. (laughs) He would heal somebody and say, don't go tell anyone. And that person's probably thinking, Jesus, I can see suddenly. What do you mean don't tell anybody? Jesus, I can walk now. I couldn't before. What do you mean don't tell anybody? They're going to notice. But He didn't desire... The accolade, His time wasn't yet come for that. It would come, but it wasn't yet. The Son of Man came to serve. Might we follow after Him in our learning to serve others? I think that's the lesson from John the Baptist. Yes, His teaching was to magnify the One who came after Him. But He taught us humility in the magnification of Christ. He said, there is one that's coming. And when He comes, He must increase and I must decrease. Our service should be that Christ would increase and we would decrease. Our service in this community should be that others would see Christ, that He would increase and that we would decrease. Our desire in in life, our purpose in this world and our service is that we might show Christ and not ourselves if there would be any good thing said about any one of us, let it be that they showed Christ to the world and how they lived and how they served. There is that great teaching by the prophet Isaiah in which he was saying, why would we argue with the Creator? Does the pot, does the clay turn to the potter and give the potter instructions about what to do with the clay? Of course not. The potter has full authority over the clay to take it and to shape it and to mold it and to make it to that which is useful to the potter. So does God have authority in our life. To take us and to shape us and to make us into that which is useful to Him. And when we find ourselves to turn around and give instructions to God about how He should be using us or about what He should be doing with us, we are esteeming ourselves into a greater position, making ourselves as though we have the authority that is rightfully God's. You see this issue of humility, it infiltrates us throughout not only how we relate to others, but in how we relate to God as well. Because when we begin to position ourselves higher and higher, we begin to lower God lower and lower as though somehow we have more authority than He does. I want to tell you about an artist. He is a world renowned artist. He makes incredible paintings of famous people. He's painted John Wayne. He's he, he's painted all, all sorts of, of famous people from from yesteryear and and as he's made those paintings, he's painted presidents and and all these different people that he's painted. One time they, there was a, I believe it was in Los Angeles this great art gallery of all of his works. You had all these great big paintings of these celebrities that were larger than life and people went through and just were astonished at how they looked like they were just a, a photograph even though they were painted and then there was one smaller picture off to the side somebody that nobody recognized and it was painted in drab colors and was kind of dull to look at there was a visitor there to that art museum and saw all these great paintings, but then took notice of this smaller painting. They eventually asked the curator at this art gallery and said, what's what's this painting? And the curator said, that's a self-portrait of the artist. Made of himself much lower than everything else. Heaped the praise on the work, not upon himself. So was Jesus. Heap the praise upon the work of the Father, not upon Himself. And you are God's handiwork. (laughs) He's done a work in you. If you've been saved by God's grace, He has done a work in you to change you so completely that you have been taken and made from that which was, was just ashes. And you've been made beautiful. He's taken that which was dead and He's made it alive. He's taken that which was just darkness and its putridness and He's made it to be alive. (laughs) You are the handiwork of God. You are the handiwork of the work that was performed on the cross by Christ Jesus that has made you a new creature and that has given you life anew. Might you then point to The work of the One who has made you. Yesterday we had an axe out here. We were working. We used that axe and we knocked down the swing set with it. We used that axe and chopped up some of the the shrubbery out here that we were tearing out. And that axe was very useful. Saw Brother Brett swing it. Saw Brother Corey swing it. Saw Brother Jeff swing it. I think I even saw Sister Rachel swing it. Saw Sister Malia swinging it. We were all using this axe. This axe was useful to us. But the glory is not in the axe. I took that axe out of my truck this morning and I sat it in my garage and it's sitting there right now. And all that axe is sitting in my garage right now is a wood handle affixed to a steel head. And that's all that it will remain until I pick it up again and I use it. That axe receives no glory unless it is in the hands of one who knows how to use it. So are we. We receive no glory. We are worthy of no recognition unless we are used by the one who has created us and who is skilled to use us for his glory skill to use us for His purpose. We are tools that God can rightly take and use for that which He desires to perform. We are gloves in which He can place His hand and move and shape that which He desires to move. And it's an honor to be used by God. It's an honor to be used by the Father. We are nothing unless He uses us. Do you hear me? We are nothing unless He uses us. You say, well, Derek, I can do great things on my own. And you probably can. But you might do those great things on your own, and you will do them for the wrong reasons. You will do them at the wrong time. You will do them at, with the wrong method. But when we are used by Christ for His honor and glory, He uses us for the right purpose, He uses us at the right time, and He uses us in the right manner that we can accomplish that which, we has, which He has purposed to accomplish. Do you see the difference? Yes, there are many people who do many great things and they go and they volunteer and they serve and they do all these things and the, and the world commends them. But they do those things. Ultimately, there is something that tends to be wrong in the heart of man concerning even how he would do our charitable works. That's what Jesus was talking about. He says, when you give your alms, He says, do them so that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Why? Because if you don't do them in that way, you'll begin to applaud yourself with your left hand for what You are doing. To be seen in man. To be recognized for Your charitable works. Let our works, let our service be done for the Father. Let all of our deeds be done not to be recognized by the world, but to be recognized as Him. This goes into the last one I want to bring out. And here we return to the text. This business about being exalted. He said, don't arrive at the wedding feast and take the best seat. It's because if you do, and there's one who shows up after you who has more, more honor, of, of greater esteem. You're going to be asked to move. And when you're asked to move, you're going to make that walk with shame as you go and take the less seat for Him who is above you. He said, but instead, take that seat that no one prefers, that the one who invited you might come to you and say, friend, Go up higher. Friend, move up to the better place. Friend, move up to the seat that has been reserved for the best guest. Move up to the seat that has been reserved for the one who has the highest honor. Someday, for those who have been saved by God's grace, so will be said of us that the One who has invited us to this wedding feast, the One who has invited us to come into His city, who has invited us to come into His house, He will come to us and say, You who have done all these things in secret and in private for the glory of God. You who have taken upon yourself not to be esteemed by anybody. You who have chosen even now to sit in those seats that are of low esteem amongst the world. And it'll say, friend, move up higher. There's that song. It's kind of lost its meaning a little bit because of its popular or it's yeah, because of its popular use about moving on up to the east side. To that big deluxe apartment in the sky. You've heard that song, haven't you? One of these days I'm moving on up. You remember what it was like when you were a kid and you finally made it from the kid's table to the adult table? Y'all been there, haven't you? That was an accomplishment. I made it. I've arrived. Right now, I want you to know that I am just a servant. I'm a servant of the Most High God, but I'm just a servant. And I'm grateful to serve. You know, servants, they're not invited to sit at the owner's table, at the master's table. Yet, Jesus comes to us and He says, friend, move up higher. Go up higher. We've chosen, we've desired, I should say, the least here. Yet, there we will receive that rightful reward in glory. What do you search here? What do you serve for here? What did Paul say when he was teaching the Corinthians? When he was teaching about that comparison to athletics, about how men here, they'll, they'll train, and they'll prepare, that they might seek to win some corruptible crown. And he said that we seek to win one that is incorruptible. Here, men seek the rewards that are temporary. They seek the accolades, they seek the glory, they seek the honor that is temporary. And it quickly fades away. Yet, my friends, what we desire, what we seek is the glory of God. And in return for that, there will be a heaped upon us honor that does not corrupt, that does not pass away, a crown that is incorruptible, one that does not perish. We are called to humility here, to serve well here, and ultimately will receive the exaltation from the Lord when he says to us, friend, move up higher is that incredible? I will be counted amongst the saints. I will be counted amongst the blessed. I will be counted as a brother of Christ and made to sit at the Father's table. How glorious and how wonderful our God is. While we labor, While we work here, let us desire His honor and His glory. Let us not seek our own accolade or our own esteem, but instead let us seek that others would see us, others would hear about what we have done, and they would be made to praise the Father. Let us learn humility at the feet of Jesus. Let us wait for one another. Let us not have our own selfish desires, about what we wish, but instead let us turn in humility all that we might do on behalf of another. I want to say this. There are some people here today that I count as the most humble people that I've ever met. I'm not going to tell you who they are, and I'm never going to tell them that I count them amongst the most humble people that I've ever met. You know why? I don't want to ruin them. So if you have heard these things today, and you say, well, Derek, I feel like I'm already pretty humble. I want you to know you're who I'm talking to. The humble person will have heard this message and say, God, make of me of no reputation." The one who is humble will say, God, may it never be said of me that I would ever lift myself up in pride and God forgive me for all the times that I did. It is the humble heart who hears the admonition of humility and desires to be humble still. But it is the proudful heart who will look at themselves and say, I don't have a problem with humility. You see the difference? Learn humility at the feet of Jesus. There is no greater example, there's no greater person to follow in whom we can learn humility than to learn it through Christ. The one who left heaven willingly left the presence of God and angels to take on flesh, to be born In a feeding trough, in a stable, a carpenter's son from a podunk town north of Jerusalem, where people said no good things ever even came from that town. Despised and rejected by the world's elite, yet loved by the poor and the miserable. <laughs> he made of himself no reputation, he made himself a servant, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore? God has highly exalted Him. Those who are humbled will be exalted. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and given Him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May we have the desire for humility that God desires for His people. May we learn that at the feet of Jesus. I thank you for listening to me. I pray that God will bless His message. I pray that we be found humble in serving our Lord.